insurance company this week apologized to its customers for sending out thousands of emails, all of them addressing Michael. Now, I guess that with a, like with a clock that's stuck at the same time, it's right twice in a day. Um, there clearly were some Michaels amongst them, Aviva's customers, but they wanted to apologize that everybody had been addressed as Michael. One of those accidental Michaels, Andrew by name, um, contacted them and said, well, you got this wrong, you got my name wrong. Um, you know, was there something else that was kind of revealed about me in this email that every Michael, um, Tom, Dick and Harry had received? And they, no, um, we apologize for calling everybody Michael and none of your information was released. Your security has not been compromised in any way. Some people always get our names wrong, don't they? Um, maybe we're those people that always get other people's names wrong. Um, it's my name, don't wear it out. It's my name, don't, don't abuse it. It is my name. Our identity is very important. And, and when our identity is somewhat blurred or when our identity is stolen, it can be a huge threat. We are who we are. We're proud of the fact that we're Summer, John, Chris, Kate. We're proud that we're from Sussex, Yorkshire, East Anglia, Scotland, France. We're proud of where we, where we come from and we're, we're, we're happy to declare it to people. And Paul was like that. He says, my identity, my family tree, my genealogy, it's, um, it's very impressive. If, if we're to have bragging rights concerning our personal identity, well, I'm not gonna be a long way down the list uh, with those who have bragging rights. I have a great family tree, have good connections, I've had distinctive roles within my society, within my religion. I am an upstanding person in my community. I've kind of ticked all the boxes of morality and, and ethics. I'm a, I'm a good man and I've done a good job. I'm part, says Paul, of this, this race, this proud race of, of Jewish people. This week we've, we've had that um, distinctive celebration of the liberation of Auschwitz and the reminder of, of those millions of Jews that were killed in the Second World War. I am, says Paul, part of that people with a very proud heritage. Um, a people that's um, experienced great difficulties over time, yet a people that's given to the human race a very clear moral framework enshrined in those 10 words, the 10 commandments. In fact, our holy book has been the foundation of three distinctive world religions. Uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. In fact, nearly, nearly all of the world, in some way or another, is basing its, its thinking, its morality, upon what we have passed on to the world. So when it comes to bragging rights, if anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. I come from the right family. I've been through all the right ceremonies. 
I've got all the certificates. I've got the full set. I've got the bragging rights. And that's very, very clear. But when I think about these things, whatever seems to be for my gain, I count it as loss. Someone has said that Paul's problem was not that he had not made the grade, but that he had made the grade, but then realized that this wasn't the measurement that actually mattered. A lot of people say, you know, you, you climb to the top, and then when you get to the top, you find that there is nothing there. He had made the grade, but then he realized that this was not the measurement that God laid over a human life. Becoming a Christian is not being born in the right place. It's not picking up brownie points through life for um, good behavior. Becoming a Christian is a completely different kind of measurement. Our identity as someone accepted by God is not based upon where we were born, how we were brought up, our status, or any other measurement. It is purely a gift from the living God, a gracious, generous gift that's given to us. So, says Paul, all those things that seem to be a profit to me, I have counted as loss. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll, you'll recognize that this comes from the attitude of Jesus, the one that Paul had come to see personally in his life. Jesus, who did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but was willing to let go of the outward trappings of being God to become man, a servant, to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. Whatever was to my profit, I counted loss because these things were not important. They don't get me into God's good books. They don't get me into a relationship with God. They don't ensure my place in heaven. Whatever was profit to me, I count as loss. These are accounting terms. In accounting terms, if you kind of have a, a lovely list of, of, of credit, um, you, you, you say, I, I write all those off. I count them as loss. They're not important. It's important to realize that when Paul talks about coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not saying I've given up what was bad, but I've given up what is good in order to obtain what is best. Because everything that I am bragging about does not get me closer to God. The only thing that gets me closer to God is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the one who came all the way down from God to me and us in order that we, by knowing him, might be brought all the way up to a relationship with the living God. Whatever was gain, I count it a loss. A loss it doesn't get me any closer to God. In fact, he uses the really strong term, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In fact, the term that he uses is a term very familiar to dog owners and the swinging bag. That's what he was talking about. I count it as 
the contents of the dog bag that goes in the bin. I consider it rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Anything other than surrendering our life in confidence to Jesus Christ and giving ourselves to Jesus Christ is not a route to experiencing acceptance with the living God. We've spoken about this a few times over the years, but sometimes people imagine that there are two types of people, that there are people who believe and there are people who don't believe. There's belief and there's unbelief, and that's true. There are those two categories. But there's a third category of human life. Belief, unbelief, and religion. Some people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people are simply religious. Doesn't necessarily require any personal contact with Jesus, any personal belief in Jesus. You might be an unbeliever and religious. You might be an unbeliever, not attached to Jesus Christ, but yet within the apparatus of religion, within the network of religion. It may be is the place that you were born into. You were brought here as a, as a child. It may be that you're involved in the social network of a church. It's fascinating, isn't it? That in the 21st century, in contrast to the 20th century, the 20th century where so many of the tasks of the church were replaced by the state, the pastoral counsellor was replaced by the social worker. The care for the poor was replaced by the welfare state. Places of community within culture um, replaced places of community that were offered by the church. But in the 21st century, things have changed. In a society where the carers are cracking up because of the strain. In a society where poverty is increasing, where a society where places of friendship, safety and welcome are becoming few and far between, suddenly the church has become a place again where people have looked for wisdom, structure, direction, food bank, toddler group, men's group, dads and lads group, and so on. It's possible that we're part of a religious structure, but yet still not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I was an A-star religious person, yet I realize I did not know Jesus. All of that, all of those religious assets, I viewed as a loss in order that I might gain Jesus. Now, there was a time when Paul hated Jesus. We're told in the reading he hated Jesus so much that he persecuted the church. He imprisoned Christians and he took them to their death. We sang the song this morning, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. Lost, but now I'm found. Paul could identify with that. He once hated Jesus. He hated the name of Jesus. He wanted to remove the name from human memory. And he would have done if he could. 
but he says something happened that re-narrated my life. Suddenly my eyes were opened. Blind no more, I see the truthfulness, the beauty, the glory, the attractiveness of Jesus. And I've come to know him. I've come to know him. And I now realize that the most valuable thing in human life is to know Christ. Listen to these words that he writes here. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, for Paul, it's quite clear that knowing Jesus was not simply getting information about Jesus. Knowing Jesus was not simply knowing the facts about his life, death, and resurrection. It was not passing an exam in religious studies. It was something more. It was actually knowing at a personal, deep level Jesus Christ as a friend, as a rescuer, as the master of his life. Knowing Jesus is not just about information. It's about a transformation of the mind and heart and life and whole life direction of a human being. I want to know Christ more thoroughly and deeply. I want to know him and everything that that involves. I don't want to trophy Jesus. I don't want some kind of um, trophy of Jesus that I can put on my mantelpiece and somehow kind of acknowledge that he's around somewhere in some way in my life. I want to know him. I want to know him personally. I want to know him deeply. And of course, this is a great thing, that to know some people can be a very disappointing experience. You meet them once, and you can be excited about that. The second time, it's not so exciting. Three or four, five, six times later, you kind of begin to yawn, and there's nothing there anymore. There's really no substance to that relationship. But knowing Jesus is a bit like taking a sip from a huge lake, a vast lake like those lakes in, um, in Canada, and then finding that the sip is just part of a massive hole that is so big that you can't see to the other shore. Jesus is like that. Jesus is someone who you can sip and experience in an initial way and then discover that he is a resource which continues to deeply satisfy you forever. I want to know Christ and I want to know him thoroughly. Remember someone being asked, if you were to preach your last sermon, and it's kind of a pertinent question, um, as I anticipate two more sermons' time, preaching my last sermon as pastor here at Lansing Tab. If you were, were to preach your last sermon, what would the subject be of, of that sermon? And he said, well, the subject of my last sermon would be this. There's more. There's more. And, of course, there is always more of Jesus. We can never wear out his significance. We can never draw everything from him. There is always more. One older Christian said, there are curtains over the loveliness of Jesus that are yet to be drawn 
aside. I remember when I first went to Latvia, I was told to bring back some Russian dolls. And, and over those, those years, I, I did bring back some for my family and for members of the church. And I remember the people who sold them used to be really excited about selling them and telling me what was in them. They said, this one, five pieces. This one, 10 pieces. This one, 15 pieces. Of course, a 15-piece doll, we've got one of those. You start opening them, and you kind of think, wow, there's just one more, there's one more, there's one more. With Jesus, it's just unending. It's infinite. Infinite. Russian stacking doll. There is, there is more. There's just more and more of him. Paul said in this letter, for to me to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the thing that defines my life and this is the thing that will define my death and my future. Some things last for a minute. How many people have got broken Christmas presents here? How many people have got things that they had at Christmas that are now broken or have been taken back to the store or you no longer really enjoy, no longer really engage you. You thought maybe for a little while that they were going to be the present of a lifetime, but they haven't even lasted to February. Jesus is not like that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. You know, there's something odd about that statement, isn't there? Something very odd about it if you know the Christian year. The Christian year, um, Easter, Christmas, Pentecost, Easter, we know the order of Easter, Good Friday, the suffering of Jesus, Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. It seems as though Paul's got it all wrong. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that somehow I might Realize the resurrection from the dead. He seems to have the order all wrong. He seems to have Easter, Good Friday, and Easter again. Um, as though Paul is kind of confused about his church calendar and the order of things around Easter weekend. Of course, we know, don't we, that Easter is coming because the hot cross buns are in co-op. The Cadbury's cream eggs are there, and they've been there for a few weeks. But Paul, aren't you a bit confused? I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Haven't you got the wrong way around? Well, no, because when a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they first experience him as a power that almost knocks them off their feet, a power that changes the way they think and they feel and they live. And being transformed by that power, they suddenly have their lives and their eyes open to the whole of what it is to be a Christian. And they realize that the whole of what it is to be a Christian is not just about power and joy and peace and hope, which it is, but it's also about trouble. Paul was writing from a prison cell. He wasn't writing from a five-star hotel room. He was writing from a prison cell. He was experiencing the difficulty of being a follower of Jesus. There's an irony in this, isn't there? The man who was a persecutor of Christians is now in prison because he is a Christian. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings. It's better to know Jesus, even if it's going to be painful, than to experience anything else 
it is better to know him, whatever the cost, because there is no one like him. No one more beautiful, satisfying, glorious, great than Jesus. No one who can change you. No one who can accept you. No one who can welcome you, keep you, sustain you like Jesus. Knowing Jesus. And knowing that with the pain and with the sorrow, there is a goal and a reward of eternal new life. Eternal transformation. In a, a summer that is never blighted by clouds. We've seen a, a little girl called Summer who is full of smiles. Jesus promises a summer to those who trust in him that has no cloud on the horizon. That's the ultimate future of those who are the followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? And when I, when I ask that question, I'm not asking, have you received information about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I'm not asking, are you in a social network of people who are Christians? Do you attend a toddler group at a church or do you access a food bank at a church? Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you know, about your upbringing or where you were born or where you went to school, whether you went to a Church of England school. Do you know Jesus as a person? A person who's forgiven your sin, who has taken away your fear, who has given you life that death cannot kill, who has given you hope in a world where often hope is in short supply. Do you know him? The one who will be your friend at all times. Do you know him? What a great opportunity it is on this Sunday morning, if we don't, to come to know him. If you don't know this Jesus, come and speak to me or one of the leaders of the church. We'll be happy to talk to you about how you might know him. Also, after the service, there's, there's always a prayer team available to pray for people who'd like to pray through things that have been spoken about today or just anything that might be going on in your life. Paul says... I was really sure about my identity once, but I realized that my identity was not measuring up to what it meant to be a real human being. I now realize that my identity has to be formed by another, Jesus Christ. And it has been. I know him, and I want to know him. Amen.